This week, I'm speaking with TJ Guttermson. TJ is speaking to me from Las Vegas. And you'll hear that TJ actually grew up in Norway. He built his business in helping organizations and individuals to improve their communication in Norwegian. But then, remarkably, he moved to the United States. And despite the fact that English is not his first language, he built up a whole clientele in the U.S. And since 2009... He's been working with corporates, individuals, sports people, helping them to improve their individual and collective communication and performance. And he's done this through seminars, through coaching, through workshops, and through live and online courses. So how did he do that? How does someone build up a business in a language which is not their own? How do they actually build up a business in communication skills? And uh, where is he going next? And in today's episode, TJ is also going to give us some tips how you can uh, build more successful conversation skills, how you can get more results from the conversations. And I'm thinking that when you're talking to prospective clients for your training programs, this is really useful to have. And lastly, and not uh, least quite intriguingly, the importance of rapport, tension, and escalation. And when TJ sent that to me, I thought, that's interesting. What does that mean? Rapport, tension, and escalation. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. Every week, this is the weekly show. Every Thursday, we have an episode, and it's for you and for people like me, self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, facilitators, people who basically make programs, make money from their knowledge and experience. And the focus of this show is on the business of you making money from your, as I said, programs, workshops, but maybe books, keynotes, courses, anything that is based upon your experience working in perhaps another company or working for yourself. Maybe you have an expert business or maybe you're thinking of leaving a job to start it. And it's funny how during COVID, a lot of people have said to me, how do you go from, let's say, the corporate space to working with your own brand, taking what you've learned, your experience, your knowledge, and converting that into literally workshops, courses, online, offline, keynotes, and so on. How do you do that? Well, that's what this show is all about. And every Thursday, we have guests on the show from that space, from the space of learning and development, consultants, coaches, just like you, or people who are further down that path and want to share their tips with you and me. So my name is Mark. I'm the lucky, privileged host of the show, and I'm a self-employed trainer, coach, and author, and I've been employed, unemployed, and self-employed. And um, sometimes I've actually been in the corporate world as an employee. I ended up learning development departments, and then I came into self-employed consulting, and then I went back into working for companies and came back out again working for myself. So all of this and the experience of my guests is really what makes these episodes interesting. They're unique because they're not like anyone else's. They're the journeys which are specific to the guests that we have on the show. And speaking of show, I'd love you to click on the follow button or the subscribe button right now on your podcast player of choice because it costs absolutely nothing. 
and takes only a couple of seconds to do, but really means a lot to me and the team. TJ, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're in Las Vegas right now, but you're from Norway. So how'd you get there? Well, my wife, or, or you know, once upon a time, she was not my wife, and I decided she needed to be. And so, um, yeah, that's why how I ended up here. This is where she lived. Gotcha. So let's give people some context. Um, you work with many people. You've got seminars. You've got workshops. You're a keynote speaker. Um, you began in Norway, and mm-hmm. you took what you learned there and then brought this to the States. That sounds like you uh, mastered one country and then had to do everything mm-hmm almost from scratch. So let's go back in time. What got you into the business of, let's say, public speaking, uh, communicating value through your knowledge, selling this as some kind of conference topic or or coaching or products? What what does that look like? Well, it actually started with, I, I grew up as a shy kid and I did not really talk. I'm, I'm an introvert by nature and I was very insecure when it came to you know, social interactions. I was the kid that in school, when we had to do a presentation, I was probably sick that day. Uh, and so in my early 20s, I, I didn't like this. I wanted to change this. And I kind of found the self-development community and all of that. And I started out focusing on getting my social skills up, my communication skills. I wanted to be able to meet, uh, you know, make friends wherever I went. Uh, I was single at the time. So obviously, I wanted to meet women as well. And so I wanted to learn how to simply engage people in conversation, whether I knew them or not. So it started with me working on it for my own sake. And at the same time that I was doing that, I was writing a blog and I was posting on discussion forums. This was you know, before Facebook groups. So it was all forums online. And I was posting on there. And as I learned and developed my skills, I was sharing my ideas and I was sharing my experiences. And more and more people started asking me questions. Now, I was in school at the time uh, in college and um, I had a part-time job. But I spent about half of my time helping people out with the same kind of things that I had been learning. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun for me. And I was already planning on going into teaching. I wanted to be a teacher of, uh, of some sort, preferably in college or university level. And uh, when I realized that I could actually get paid from talking about the stuff that I loved the most with people who were as interested in it as me, that was just, uh, I couldn't go any other direction. So I kind of just dove into it from there. It's funny, isn't it? When we realize as as trainers, as uh, consultants, uh, keynote speakers, I can't believe people want to pay me to do what mm-hmm. I love to do, to talk about what I love to talk about. Yeah. Um, so your area, I guess, is communication performance. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, in a nutshell, what you sell to your audience? Yeah, I, the two like main topics, uh, main headlines that tend to come up is, is communication and confidence, or social mm-hmm. confidence, rather. Mm-hmm. So I, I spend a lot of time talking to people about getting more out of the interactions that they have, in addition to being able to create more of the interactions that they want. And sometimes that is practical skills, knowing how to create a conversation, knowing how to build towards mm. what you want. Other times, it's more having the confidence to do what you know you should be doing. And most of the time, it's a little bit of both mixed in. So these tend to be the two primary topics that I work on. So you've worked with individuals, uh, you've online courses, mm-hmm. you've worked with corporations. Um, your headline or figure is uh, roughly 100,000 people. And this is obviously not on site or face-to-face, right. as you said, when we began to talk. This mm-hmm. is uh, perhaps people attending things um, synchronously or asynchronously, workshops, courses, and so on. You've mm-hmm. also been featured in, in uh, no- national media. Tell me about that experience of 
going from the introverted person to now mastering that uh that uh because that to many of us is 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 a struggle you know we're we're comfortable in the classroom or with clients mm -hmm. coaching but we often get paralyzed with fear about talking to the media right how'd, how'd well, you do that i, I want to point out that when when we say national media that is norwegian national media. Yes. uh but uh yeah so so norway being a, a somewhat small country of about five million people once you kind of get your contacts out there once you have a network you often get a call from journalists so early on in my career i realized that if i was only if i was going to make this work if i was going to make money from this enough to live off of i couldn't just base myself on clients from the discussion forums or whoever mm -hmm. happened to read my blog i needed to reach the mainstream mm -hmm. so for me it wasn't really i never thought of it as i want the attention i definitely did not want to be the guy on the, the TV or on the, the in the articles all the time. But I wanted people to know what I was doing. And I wanted to share good content or helpful tips or, or whatever I could. So early on, in six months or so after I, I uh, launched my company, I reached out to a couple of media outlets. And through that, I got a column in a newspaper. It was an online column in a newspaper. And I got a radio show where I had a segment every day for five or six weeks. I can't remember. And through that, I became someone who already had a lot of media experience. I had, you know, X number of, of columns out and I had this and that, that many uh, radio episodes I've been on. So I became a, a trusted source for journalists. So I just kept nurturing that network. And whenever I talked to a journalist, I'd not just, you know, be on the phone or face to face and answer the questions. I'd get to know them and I'd network with them through, you know, the stuff that I teach. So that they would think of me next time they needed needed someone, or when the, one of their colleagues needed a, someone to to make a you know a comment on something that was going on, or share some tips on communication or whatever, they would recommend me. So it kind of just snowballed from there. And um, outside outside of that first six months when I was working to get this ball rolling, I uh, really just got called up by the people that had interviewed me before for a long time and, and their colleagues. So it was it was yeah. never about me. It was just mostly about finding a way to get more clients because as most coaches and trainers in the beginning, it's it's kind of hard to get the clients that you need to make things go around. I'm I'm piqued, I suppose, or at least interested in in what led you to the sphere or area of public speaking and communication. I'll tell you why I asked that question, because several of the people I've had on over the years on the show have uh a media background. They've come from CNN. I've had one of mm. uh, an ex-CNN journalist on. I've had someone from, I think, CBS. I've had people who've come from PR. Mm. What what led you to go as an introvert? Because this is actually yeah. not. Uh, this is very interesting. To go, I can help people with communication to achieve their personal, professional goals through confident public speaking, communication, conference speaking, and so on. Well, part of it was just seeing the the huge change in my life when I learned these things and I started mastering them and how literally everything changed. And okay. and I was I knew how many other people out there had that same situation. They they were struggling to have the social life or build a network or whatever that they wanted. So when I first started out, I started only working with individual clients. I did not work with corporations off the bat. Uh, because that, that wasn't really in my mindset. I wasn't really thinking that way. But I worked with people who wanted, for their own personal reasons, to improve their communication or social skills or, or social confidence. And then these people started asking me if I would come do a seminar for their work or for their sports club or for whatever it was. And uh, because they were seeing, you know, they were applying what I had taught them to 
their work work situation or the club they were running or whatever and saw the changes and they wanted everyone to know so they would hire me to come in and that got me into the public speaking so i started more out as a coach i did small workshops with small groups where i worked with individuals and then they started pulling me into the the public speaking uh, arena and into the corporate world more and i started doing more and more working there when was your first paid gig when you realized this is great i'm enjoying this people want me to do this for them but i can actually make a living from this full time well, so I spent about a year before I launched my own company. I spent about a year uh, with my coach at the time, uh, doing some work with him. So we would travel. We did some work in in Amsterdam. We did some work, a lot of work in, in Norway, here in Las Vegas, which is how I met my wife was through through him. Um, and so through that experience of not getting paid, but just being there and helping my coach and learning and seeing how I could contribute, I started noticing more and more that people responded to what I had to say. And so when I decided to go solo or launch my own company, which was January 2009, I started that out with a bang, basically. And I went on my blog and all the discussion forums and everywhere where I knew I could post anything. And I announced a workshop. I was going to do a weekend workshop on, on social skills and confidence. And uh, two guys signed up, two people, that was it. Uh, but these two people signed up, paid, I think, $700 or something each. And, uh, and that was it. I was hooked. I worked like my, my hourly wage for that workshop was tiny. We did 30 hours or so over the workshop and then all the preps and all the, the post work. Uh, but it was just such a thrill. It was such a kick to have my own thing, actually getting some money for it. And then seeing these guys go out and, and basically advertising for me by telling other people. And then the snowball started kind of rolling from there. Gotcha. So you said a few moments ago that you didn't intend to go out working with corporates. You're working B2B or, or mm. rather B2C, one, two, one with individuals. Mm. What then was the transition from, I'm working with people, they like what I'm doing, but now I can go bring this to a corporate client and mm. affect change in a large business and grow it to a corporate uh, account? Yeah. So that was, it was kind of a two-pronged thing. Uh, one was, as I think I mentioned briefly, my clients that I had started asking me to come speak at their their you know place of business or or their organization or sports club and stuff like that, yeah. which was great. And in the beginning, that was to me just a novelty. It was just something fun to do. Um, but I had also had uh, when I launched my company, I quit my part time job that I had next to my my college education. But that job was included a lot of things like conflict mediation, taking care of new students coming into town, a lot of social interactions through that job. And towards the end of my time there, I was the one to teach every, all the new employees about how we did the conflict mediation, how we have these conversations. And when I left, they kept asking me to come back to train people. So I had both my previous clients, one-on-one clients, bringing me into their businesses. And then I had my own previous job paying me as a speaker or a lecturer to come back. And when I started seeing that I'm actually making a noticeable amount of money from this too. And it's another alternative to the one-on-one or the small groups I do. That became very interesting. And I enjoy being on stage in front of people. And I really enjoy the time after doing a talk and just mingling and talking to the uh, people who were there. And so it just became more of a, that was my, my sport. That was my fun to do those talks at first. And then my main focus was still the, the coaching and the workshops. But eventually, when I started seeing the, the growth potential in the corporate world, I started focusing more and more. And then back to the same as I did with, with journalists, is networking. And anytime anyone signed me, I'd 
make sure to network with whoever was my contact. And, you know, they would recommend me then on to other people again. Were you charging for those keynotes at that time? Not the the first few times I charged like a hundred dollars for it. Mm -hmm. It was just more of a symbolic, make sure that they're invested a little bit and and that people will be there when I show up. Uh, So for the first probably six to 12 months, I, I hardly charged at all. And then when I realized that, you know, this is something that I could actually including my in my business and, and make some money off of, I started setting, you know, real prices and, and doing a little more serious uh, uh, managing of clients. So what kinds of organizations typically engage with, with you and with your brand uh, and why? What, what kinds of uh, requirements do they have? It, it varies a lot. Actually, in the beginning, it was almost for, for in the corporate world, we exclude sports and, and voluntary organizations. In the corporate world, in the beginning, it was almost exclusively software companies. I don't really know why I wasn't catering directly to them. I think maybe I just kind of hit the right people in those networks and I kept getting passed on to the next one. Uh, so for a while there, I was, I was sure that I was getting hired by tech companies because you know, tech people needed more of what I had to teach. Uh, but then eventually, it, it started going out to you know, sales teams or you know, whatever it was. And for me, the important part isn't the business that they're in. To me, the point of or what I look for in my clients is what are they trying to do for the individuals in that business? So am I working with someone because they themselves want to feel better and have better connections at their place of business? Or am I working with someone to help them make more money through sales or through networking? So those are the things that I look for. I tend to prefer working with companies who want to develop their employees as the first priority and then second priority, sell more or network more. So that's where those are are the majority of the corporate work that I do are about working with the employees to Mm. to enable the employees to have more of what they want or be more confident going for what they want. And then we can talk about sales training or whatever after that. Right. So of all the channels that you have, what is the most productive in terms of generating consistent leads for your business? Uh, LinkedIn now. LinkedIn over the last year has grown into a huge source for me. Um, Online courses have been something that I've been producing for the last three years or so. And I have a bunch of them on udemy.com. And from there, I got asked or invited to to put out courses on LinkedIn. And those have just kind of taken off on me. Uh, I wasn't expecting that to, to take over that much. But basically, within the last year, I've gone from getting most of my client through clients through my own, my own articles and my own uh, mailing list and all that to most of my clients these days come from people who see my courses on LinkedIn and reach out to me. Right. So um, if we think then of, of your three tips, because you very kindly gave me a couple of tips that will mm-hmm. help the audience today. And again, we're keeping this, uh, the context for people listening. These are tips that TJ's put together to help you as a self-employed person, as a coach, or maybe you are like many People write to me and say, I love the show. I'm not yet a trainer or a coach or a keynote speaker, but I'm thinking of it. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give me some tips in that direction? So your tips, first of all, are um, without giving away the, mm-hmm. the source, ingredients for successful conversations. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Getting results from critical, maybe commercial conversations. And then what you've uh, curiously titled are three things, rapport, tension, and escalation. And I, I love, I'd love to know what that actually means. Let's begin with the first one. Uh, ingredients for successful conversations for coaches, trainers, self-employed experts. Sure. So, so when I teach communication, when I teach 
how to create the conversations that give you more of what you want. These are, as you mentioned, the three ingredients that I talk about. And well, firstly, I want to point out, I'll call them ingredients because it's not a step-by-step method. You don't do one first and then you do the other and then you do the third. There, and you mix them in however makes most sense in the moment. And so part of this is learning, building up the experience to get a feel for what fits and what doesn't fit and at what time. Before we get to that point, you can use this as a step-by-step thing. And once we've gone through these tips, it'll make, what I'm talking about now will make sense for everyone. Um, so, so these three ingredients are basically, I, I didn't invent these. All these, these topics come from other people. I put them together in, in my way. But these are not my original thoughts. These are things that I discovered first when I was studying psychology in college, then again when I was getting my teacher's education in college, then again when I was working on my own personal and social growth. They had different words, but they all boil down to these three categories. And once I started noticing that, I started kind of digging into them even more and and kind of created the the model that I'm about to to share with you guys. Okay. So um, how does someone then get results? How does someone know which ingredients to use in successful conversations? So let's just work our way through the three ingredients from, okay. from top to bottom and then start with rapport. So rapport, for those who might not know, is the, the, the term that we use for feeling like we have something in common, feeling like we have a certain amount of trust, feeling like we have something to talk about. The more rapport we have with someone, the more comfortable we are with them. Mm-hmm. So you know, your closest friends or family or spouse or whatever these are usually the people that you have the most rapport with. You can sit in complete silence with them and it's perfectly comfortable. Sometimes you'll just look at each other and know what the other one's thinking. You know, this is really deep rapport. Then you have, you know, casual acquaintances or friends that might be a little less comfortable, even though you're still perfectly comfortable being around them. And then you have people that you hardly know down to strangers that you have no rapport with at all. So rapport is the thing that most people are good at, whether they know it or not, because rapport is really just about spending time together. It's best if we actually talk to each other and and if we can do things together while we're spending our time together. But there are actually studies that show that rapport builds by two strangers sitting in a room together, being completely quiet. So just being around another human builds rapport. But easy, well-known ways of building rapport are things like active listening actually listening to the other person and what they're saying, encouraging them to tell you more, asking follow-up questions, showing that you're interested in what they have to say. And when you do that, you can also start to create the conversation that you want by being selective about which parts you encourage more conversation about, which parts you ask follow-up questions about. So if you're in a conversation with a potential client, for example, whether this is someone you happen upon in your private life or this is someone you go to a meeting with, when they are talking, you listen for things that might lead the conversation closer to where you want that conversation to go. So if I'm talking to someone at a dinner party and they tell me that they're the HR manager for whatever company, I like HR manager, the managers, they tend to, uh, excuse me, tend to pay me money for my stuff. So when I, you know, I might meet an HR manager and I ask them about their company and, you know, how's their work and how's their people they work with. And if they mention that, you know, yeah, well, it's mostly good. Then mostly that's a trigger for me. Oh, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? I want to know what's going on. I want to know. And I'm just being curious and I'm just showing interest. I'm not in sale mode, sales mode. I'm not trying to negotiate anything. I am now in the rapport phase, trying to get to know them, figure out who they are as a person, see things that we have in common, and guide the conversation down the path that I think will be most productive for whatever goal I have. So 
before I could talk about for two days because it's a huge topic, but it is something that most people understand. It's about having conversations with someone, finding things we relate on, maybe things we have in common, things we agree on or whatever. Or if we don't find those right off the bat, a very good alternative is to be curious, to show the person that, that you're talking to that you are genuinely interested in what they have to say. And that, of course, is very easy to do when you actually ask about the things that are interesting or helpful to you. Right. The tension that I've got to come to that one, because that's mm-hmm. intriguing. Most of us think of tension as something to be avoided. Um, yeah. Am I right in saying you think it can be leveraged? So tension is, in my opinion, crucial in order for us to get what we want from a conversation. If you think about it in any context, say a dating context, even, if there's no tension, if there's no butterflies, if there's no feeling of that little extra excitement or stress or nervousness, then it's not exciting. It's just a conversation. This is how the friend zone exists. People just get along, but there's no tension. There's nothing that makes their heart beat a little faster. Mm-hmm. Or in a sales conversation, if the customer isn't excited or feels some sort of tension towards that product, either because they really want it for the personal uses or because they think it's going to give them something in the future. If that's not there, if that excitement, that draw to it isn't there, they're not going to buy your product. So when we say tension, most people immediately start thinking about that stress, that uncomfortable, that we're not getting along tension. But tension is, in in the clinical way, anything that creates an emotional experience in the conversation. So it doesn't have to be negative. There are negative tension builders. They, they have their place in some inter- some situations. But for the most part, we want to po- uh, focus on positive tension builders. So a couple of examples of that is asking unexpected questions, things people aren't used to being asked that aren't rude or aren't you know, pushy or any of these things, but that they just weren't expecting or challenging people a little bit. So you talk, you're talking to this HR manager who says, oh, you know, people they work with are mostly good. Oh, mostly. Well, there's some people that are hard to get along with. Well, a fun way to challenge that is, oh, yeah, you sure it's not you? And do it in a playful way. Playfulness is <laughs> a fantastic tension builder. Okay. Because if you can get them to laugh a little bit, or if you can ask them maybe even a serious challenge, but with a, a smile on your face, and you go, they say, well, some people are hard to get along with. And you go, so what have you tried in order to get along with these people? It's a bit of a challenge. And people might for a moment get a little defensive, but when they see that you're asking not to try to make them feel bad or look bad, you're asking because you're curious. You're asking because Mm -hmm. this is something that you actually care about. That creates an emotional response. And this conversation is suddenly a lot more interesting than the conversation they had five minutes ago with someone who was just agreeing and nodding along and saying, you know, being all smiley happy 100% of the time. You know, that's very helpful. Uh, I'd never thought of tension in a positive way, but it sounds like we're making people, we're serving them by creating an awareness of what they assume to be true or have not verified, or mm-hmm. perhaps they're conscious now of something that they need to do. That's the tension that it sounds like it's an entree then for you to move to the next step of the conversation. Right. Or, so, so or to open questions. Know, I- yeah. Right, exactly. So as the examples that I used earlier, if a, if a customer doesn't feel any type of tension to the product or service they might be buying, they're not going to buy it. So if you try mm. to escalate to the sale too quickly and you don't have enough tension, you're not going to get it. But escalation is more complicated than that. You know, I said in the beginning that we mix these ingredients in however we want. Sometimes we can start with escalation because escalation is about going for what you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going for our end result immediately. So instead of 
asking the questions that you think you should ask, you know, this HR manager in order to get hired. Instead of just asking questions, once you have all the information, you make the perfect pitch in your head and then you spew it out, you escalate step by step. So when you do that, you create, well, you, you get two bonuses from escalating step by step. And I'll give a couple of examples of how we can okay. do that step by step. You get two bonuses, which is one, you get to see how eager they are to move forward with you to the next level, whatever the next level is for that, that conversation. And two is that when they're not ready to go forward, you haven't lost them yet because you haven't made their pitch and they haven't said no. You've done an escalation step. You see that they stop there. So you go back to creating more tension, which creates more curiosity, more interest or more attraction or more whatever you want to call it. And then you do another escalation step and you see, do they go along with that step? Because if they do, great, now we're moving forward. So in the context of the HR manager that might hire me to do a seminar, for example, I wouldn't talk to him for two minutes and then go, you know what? I can fix that problem for you. I have the best things because, you know, because that's just pushy and nobody wants to hire that guy. So instead, I'll do an escalation step by, for example, asking them about, uh, you know, would they like to know something, know how I would solve that? Or would they like me to tell them something? Would they like, so one of my colleagues uses this question all the time. He goes, may I offer a thought on that? May I offer a thought on that? Yeah, may I offer a thought on that? Or may, okay. may I make a suggestion? Or, or I have an idea about that. Or I have some experience with that. Would you mind if I share? So escalation steps can often be, especially in, in these kinds of sales conversations or, or pitch conversations, escalation steps are often about getting the other person to tell you to move forward, to go to the next level. So you might move from them talking to you because you're asking good questions and getting them to talk about their work. You move from there to them asking you something that you basically tell them to ask. So the, per, the HR manager is saying, well, some people are a little hard to get along with. I might go, oh, you know what? I have some experience with that. Would you, would you like some tips on that? Or would you like me to, to share that with you? Mm. And if he goes, yes, now he's investing his intention or interest in me. He's asking me to tell him what I do. So I'm not the trainer or the coach who's now just starting to teach him or coach him when he hadn't asked for it. He actually asks me for it. I'll give him you know, some thoughts on that. We'll talk a little back and forth. I'll put in tension, have some fun with it. And then I'll move on to the next thing and go, you know what? I've worked with a lot of companies like yours um, before. Have you guys ever had someone like, you know, a trainer, a coach or whatever you call yourself, come in and do the thing? Now we're asking them to start the conversation about having someone like me in the company. And so I'm getting buy-in on several levels before I go, you know, this sounds interesting. We should have a serious conversation about, you know, maybe working together. So these escalation steps can be anything. And, and you know, I'm, this is off the top of my head. And I know that listeners are going to be in all kinds of different situations. Right. But, you know, if you're a salesperson at the Apple store and someone's looking at a Mac, don't just go over and say, hey, you want me to show you all about this Mac? You go over and you start a conversation. You have a little back and forth. You maybe tease them a little bit or you challenge them. You go, do you know Macs well? Do you know how to use one of these? And you get that little reaction of, oh, do I or do I not? This guy's obviously an expert. Am I going to? And then from there, you start asking, would you like me to show you? Did you know that you can do this? I can, you know, it's really simple. You want to see? And you get their buy-in on these steps until you get to where you feel that the, the sales pitch belongs. So it sounds like, I mean, you've said to me that um, you, you can sprinkle these like ingredients in any form. Mm -hmm. um, however, I, I must say that to me, rapport, then tension, then escalation kind of makes sense because I would feel comfortable when I've 
um, gotten to exchange a few words with someone, learn their name, something about them, then I could be a little bit cheeky and challenge them or mm-hmm. playful, as you said. And then if there's something that comes from that, I could escalate where now I'm my brand, my training, my, my coaching is the solution to the thing that, uh, that we're talking sure. about. And so, so that is when I teach this to people who feel like, oh, that's either a lot to remember or some of these things are a little scary. That is the, the kind of step-by-step method that we can, we can practice. Mm-hmm. Once we start getting a little bit of experience, though, we should trust our instincts. So if you, you, know, you go to a, a seminar or a conference or something and you see a keynote speaker talking and you want to network with that person and you walk over to them and the moment you get close to them, a joke pops into your head or something to tease them about pops into your head. Listen to that instinct and go with it. Because once we start building up that experience, we start getting that little instinctive or, or, or trained instinctual uh, insight into what's right here and what's not. And then, of course, you escalate all the time. You escalate from not talking to someone to talking to them. You escalate from rapport to maybe tension. You escalate to you know, sharing more about yourself. So there's all of those kinds of things if you want to get technical about escalation. But when it comes to the, the steps... You know, at conferences, I've walked up to people and said, hey, I love your talk. I have some thoughts. Would you like to hear them? Which is an f- escalation step. So I'll open in that. Um, but only if I'm confident that they're probably going to say yes. So we learn to play with it. We learn to use it. And you'll see the difference a lot. Some people ask me, you know, what's the difference between someone who, you know, two salesmen have worked together for, for years. They have the same experience, but one is so much better than the other. What's right. the difference? Is it just, you know, natural charisma? It might be sometimes, but more often than not, it's that whoever's performing better is doing things out of order a lot of the time. They are trusting their instincts. They're going into the conversation, not with a step-by-step plan in their head that they're going to follow, but they're going into it with nothing but the intention. They know what they want out of it, but they haven't decided how to get there. And then they trust their instincts from there. To get to that place of instinctual understanding, of course, we need to get practice. We need to go out and just have as many conversations as we can. Yes, and that's so true, isn't it? Uh, to end on that point, which is that uh, the theory is great, but until you actually put this into practice, make it work for you, build mm-hmm. that confidence, um, you won't know what that does for you. But if you just treat this as as a framework and nothing more, uh, you'll never know what it could be. So I've I've gone along to seminars and I've come away with something and I've tried to tweak that, make it my own. But what really mm-hmm. makes it work is literally trying to make it work and it's it's failing. It's it's right. getting back up and and trying, okay, I'll try the next seminar. I'll talk to a speaker who comes off stage, get them involved in in something, or I can talk to a guest or someone who comes up after one of my keynotes and engage them. But I've always found that it's, it's the, I can, I never come away from a conference or a keynote without something, whether it's yeah. an introduction or a referral, some piece of business, something uh, it's so important. So having that skill set uh, and, and using those three things, which you've given us TJ um, building rapport, being mm-hmm. conscious of the need to be playful and perhaps create tension, joke a little, get people mm-hmm. to uh, think, Hey, that's different. And then uh, see how you can, uh, I wouldn't say shoehorn, but but put yourself uh, in the shoes of part of the solution, getting them to share things and sharing things with them, thoughts, mm. and uh, helping them escalating when the yeah. time's right. And a lot of that is instinctive, as you say. Where can people find out more about you, TJ? Well, I'd say uh, com. I know that's complicated. Hopefully, you'll have some, some show notes somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so that's my website. And in there, you'll find all my courses. If you're a LinkedIn premium member, you have free access to all my LinkedIn courses. 
Uh, if not, there are, you know, my, my courses right now, I think the most expensive one is like $18. So these things are not the $1,000 signature program type things that people get. I, I want to make my money working face-to-face -face with people. So my courses are my way of getting out right. there. and I don't charge much for them at all. So but your face-to-face -face courses, you do charge for thousands. I, I do sure. charge a little more than $18 for those. <laughs> that's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so go on tjguitarmson.com uh, or look me up on LinkedIn. You'll find a lot of content there. You know, the, the three topics, the three ingredients that we talked about today are the core of what I teach as far as communication, but there's so much more. And mm. there are so many ways to, to create these things that we didn't have time to touch on. So I know we focus on you know being challenging and maybe a little playful when it comes to tension. The tension can be built in dozens of other ways as well. You don't have to be playful. You don't have to have that. So if you're you're not that kind of person or you're not in that kind of mood. You don't have to pretend. So yeah, tgguitarson.com. You can find my courses. You'll find a bunch of articles, and in there you'll learn much more about this. If you're on Facebook, uh, Centered Communication is my Facebook group. There's uh, three or four thousand members uh, there, and I post. Four or five times a week. Centered communication. Is that US spelling or English spelling? Uh, US spelling. Okay. So that's what C C E N T E R E D E D communication. Yeah, correct. That's that's the Facebook group. Brilliant. Okay. Yes. TJ, thank you so much for speaking to us today from Las Vegas. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. My sincere thanks to TJ for being my guest today on the Training Business Podcast, and my thanks to you for your time, for listening to this episode. If you have a question or a suggestion for another episode, please email me. My email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com, and I reply individually, having read all emails personally. My team, Sam, Joe, James, Turul, and I appreciate your loyalty and your time, and we'd love you to come back next week. So please click on subscribe or follow, depending on which platform you're listening to this show on today, because you'll then be notified of great episodes as they come out. This costs nothing and takes only a couple of seconds and really helps us to know what you're liking and uh, what you want more of. And as I said, we're all the time open to feedback, so please drop me a line. Until next Thursday, when there is a fresh episode on your podcast platform of choice, you'll also find all episodes past, present, and future over at trainingbusiness.com. But until then, keep going, and I look forward to your company next week. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.